This is episode number 137 of the Individual One podcast. And for the record, individual number one is President Donald J. Trump. And I am your host, John Ziegler. We are broadcasting from Los Angeles, California, and distributed internationally by the Global Story Network. This is the critically acclaimed program which takes an honest and hard look at the presidency of Donald J. Trump from a truly conservative perspective because, unfortunately, no one else is willing or able to tell the real truth about him. And unlike the corporate media, we here at the Individual One Podcast have most definitely not been compromised or co-opted. Welcome to the program. Please subscribe, rate, review, and share it via social media. Follow us on Twitter at Individual, the number one pod. That's at Individual, the number one pod. Well, we made it. Inauguration Day 2021. Joe Biden, as we now speak, is the new president of the United States. Donald Trump is now the former president of the United States. Correct. And uh, somehow America is at least technically still intact. As for Joe Biden's inauguration speech, it was basically a unity sandwich with a lot of, in my opinion, unnecessary divisiveness inside of it. Uh, how in the world you give a unity speech, which, by the way, is absolutely the right theme, given the circumstances of the country. So I applaud the theme and I applaud much of what was in Joe Biden's inauguration speech. But how do you give a, a speech where the theme is unity and you reference white supremacy? How, how is that possible? You cannot be serious. I, I mean, I get that the people writing this speech are very progressive and woke and they feel like they have to tick off all the things that are going to make their base happy. But your speech is about unity. And the idea that I mean, Jake Tapper on CNN seems to think that we're living in 1962 Mississippi or something. It's when Jake is a guy who. I, I like, I communicate with on a semi-regular basis uh, via Twitter, uh, and uh, but he's a white male. So in order to keep your gig in the woke media, you need to virtue signal. And the best way to virtue signal is to demean white people. Uh, that's the best way to keep your job as a white male in the news media. Uh, the idea that white supremacy is in the top 1,000 well, maybe it's maybe it might be the top 1,000. It's not in the top 100 of the problems facing America right now. Uh, it, you know, that concept is just... It's just flat-out ridiculous. Uh, but for it to make it into a speech that you're trying to use to unify the country in a unique opportunity. I mean, this is, this is as unique as it gets. You get one shot at your inauguration address... Uh, one shot to get a, a that large of an audience, especially in this day and an age, uh, where you know you're you're just starting off, you're setting the tone, and your tone and your theme is unity, and you talk about white supremacy. Uh, wow, um, you know I, I would have been you know slightly offended if he had just done the laundry list of climate change and we need to keep the COVID lockdowns. Okay, fine, whatever. To me. In a remotely ideal world, if you're going to give a speech about political unity, you drop the politics, right? Not that difficult a concept. You drop the politics for today. There's plenty of time for that. You're going to placate your base with all sorts of executive orders immediately, which is what Joe Biden is going to do. By the way, I don't want to hear a goddamn thing from Trump supporters complaining about Joe Biden's executive orders, because when Donald Trump 
governed by executive order. There were conservatives like me who said, whoa, 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 whoa. Wait a minute. This is going to come back to haunt us, folks, because then once the next guy, probably a Democrat, probably a progressive Democrat, they get to do it, too. And now we have no credibility in criticizing it. Conservatives used to have credibility when Barack Obama did it, saying, wait a minute, this is not the way the presidency was designed. This is not our way of government. So Obama did it. Then Trump did it maybe even more, depending on how you define this, by governing via executive order or edict. And now shut the fuck up if you're if you're a Trump supporter when it comes to what Joe Biden is going to do via executive order reversing on day one a lot of what uh, Donald Trump did via executive order. Now, to be clear, you know, my, my uh, evolution of thought on Joe Biden has been uh, pretty well established during the two years of this podcast. I started this podcast with the belief that Joe Biden was the best of bad options to be the next president if it meant getting rid of Donald Trump. And I was correct about whether or not Joe Biden would beat Donald Trump. I said 100 times plus on this podcast and elsewhere that if you want to beat Donald Trump, Joe Biden is the guy. However, the Joe Biden that's president today, partially because of the unique circumstances that we face, is not going to be the same Joe Biden that existed two years ago. It's not just because he's old and may not have the strength to be his own man and he's got Kamala Harris is his vice president, who's super progressive and super woke. And, and she's everyone knows she's going to be the next president of the United States in all likelihood. So therefore, she has an enormous amount of power as vice president. He, he basically can't cross her on anything she really cares about. So she's way more than just a vice president. So that's part of this equation. But a lot of it is because we're in the middle of this pandemic and it's very obvious that Joe Biden just does not get it. Joe Biden does not understand the nature of the virus. He's still, by the way, saying that the darkest part of this winter is still to come. Uh, you know, everyone, including myself, has gotten in trouble with making predictions, but I, I don't believe that. I, I believe that the darkest portion of this has ended. It's starting to shift in the other direction. It's setting up absolutely perfectly for the Democrats to do exactly what I told you they were going to do, which is allow this thing to fade out naturally and with help of the vaccines and then take credit for, for having uh, won a war that they had nothing to do with winning. That's what's going to happen. And the media, of course, will applaud that because the media will love that narrative. But it won't be true. But truth no longer makes a goddamn bit of difference. And so the, the COVID thing obviously overrides almost all of life a, as of this moment. And it's diminished greatly my, my view of Joe Biden, my confidence that he really will be a somewhat moderating force and a real uniter. I, I didn't really buy it. I think it's it's in his heart. I think Joe Biden is a good guy. I still think he's a lot better than other options would have been, but he's not the same Joe Biden that would have been uh, president two years ago. Again, partially because of the circumstances, partially because of the politics, and he's going to be very progressive. His administration will be more progressive than even Barack Obama's was. Because I think Barack Obama's still had this idea that, well, we better be careful. We better be careful. We can't go too far because America is still largely a centrist or center-right country. And if we go too far, we're going to get our asses handed to us, especially after the 2010 midterm election. And that's exactly what happened. 
So after the 2010 midterm election, I think they kind of learned their lesson like, okay, wow. All right. Uh, We need to be a little bit more uh, careful here. And so Obama was able to do that partially because he's a black man. No one was going to criticize him from the far left. He's the first black president. So he didn't have to worry about placating his base. Joe Biden, as a white man, probably has to go further in order to placate his base. And the politics are different. The politics are different because Donald Trump made that made it that way. Donald Trump opened the floodgates for the left to now be able to run roughshod almost over anything other than the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court is all that's left especially now that the U.S. Senate effectively is in Democratic hands because it's a 50-50 tie and Kamala Harris will be the the tie-breaking vote at all times. So the Democrats control the White House. They control the House of Representatives, not by a lot, but by enough. And they control the Senate. And so even before the January 6th assault on the Capitol, the politics were such the Democrats were going to be able to do pretty much whatever they wanted. Now... That's really the case, because now the opposition is completely fractured. Uh, The public opinion polls are much more in favor of Democrats than they even were on Election Day. Part of that's the honeymoon period, but part of that's the obvious reaction to seeing Trumpsters assault the Capitol and result directly or indirectly in the deaths of five people. And that's not irrational. That that makes sense. Uh, But. All of this is almost a perfect storm now to give Democrats a hurricane wind at their back. The media is obviously a huge part of that. And it was really kind of fascinating. I've been predicting this for years. It didn't take you know a rocket scientist to figure this out. But for eight years, nine years, really, if you, if you include the campaign, the news media in this country were cheerleaders for Barack Obama. I mean, they had their pom-poms out. Go, Barack. Go, Barack. Go, go, go. That, and I even made a movie about this called Media Malpractice in 2009. And then Donald Trump becomes president, and this remarkable transformation occurs. Instantaneously, they go from cheerleaders to rabid pit bulls, even you know, overplaying their hand when it came to what really happened in the 2016 election with Russian interference. And for four years, there's a rabid pit bull in the, in the mainstream news media. By the way, I'm fine with the news media being a rabid pit bull, at least as long as they you know, do it within some semblance of fairness and within the truth. Many times they did not do that with Donald Trump. They overplayed their hand. Russia was an example of that. And now, Russia was bad, but it was nowhere near the hype that was provided by the left-wing media. Uh, I'm not going to get into that. And, uh, and there were many other stories that they overplayed. Several books, I believe, overplayed the hand when it came to criticism of Donald Trump. And he did some things that deserved some credit, which he did not get very much of any mainstream news media credit for. And when it came to COVID, I think it was absolutely ridiculous, absurd and uh, and borderline criminal that they called him a murderer for killing hundreds of thousands of people for a virus that has had effectively the same impact over most of the Western world. So, you know, I think that even as much as I despise Donald Trump, I think the news media went too far and lost a lot of credibility when it came to their treatment of him. So you have eight years of being a cheerleader. You got four years 
of the rabid pit bull against Donald Trump. And then all of a sudden, at noon today, on Inauguration Day, like a snap of the finger, a magical transformation occurs. The news media goes from rabid pit bull right back to cheerleader with their pom-poms out. In fact, uh, we have a little bit of some of the media coverage of the response to Joe Biden's inauguration and his speech, and it sounded something like this. Oh, yes, 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 yes. Oh, 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 yes, 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 oh, yes, 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 oh, 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 God. So get used to it, folks. That's going to be the news media for at least the next four years when it comes to Joe Biden. And we saw an awful lot of that today. As, and, and to be fair, it's Inauguration Day. That's pretty normal. It didn't happen for Trump. And it probably didn't happen to this level. For, it certainly didn't happen to this level for George W. Bush. Uh, it may have happened for uh, Barack Obama. In fact, I think it did. I remember very well having made a movie about it. But uh, the circumstances here are pretty unique, uh, especially coming two weeks after the assault on the Capitol, which we'll get to the aftermath of in, in short order. Now, I cannot emphasize enough, even though— you know, it's sometimes it's weird how sometimes in life the biggest things they're understood, but they almost get ignored because they're too obvious. And I think that's kind of what happened today with regard to the inauguration, because Donald Trump was not there. Donald Trump did not attend the inauguration of his successor, Joe Biden. I can't emphasize enough how absurd, how sad, how pathetic, how juvenile that is. You cannot be serious. The president of the United States, the outgoing president of the United States, did not even attend the inauguration. It's just flat out ridiculous. Now, there is no reason that it didn't happen other than, I mean, look, Joe Biden may not have wanted him there. But for the country and for the world, I think it would have been a a beneficial uh, set of circumstances. It would have been a beneficial development. Would it have been difficult, awkward? Sure. But if we had gotten through it, which as adults you should have been able to do so, it would have been, I believe, a positive. But regardless of whether you wanted him there or not, that's part of the goddamn duties. It's just human decency. It's part of what once made America great since this was the guy who said he wanted to make America great again, part of America's greatness was being able to transfer power peacefully in a way that's civilized and where the guy who's going out who just lost an election that really wasn't even that close is willing to say, okay, good luck to you. I wish you the best because it's what's best for the country that matters. People like me for five years have been telling you this is why you can't have Donald Trump as president. Correct. Because he's uniquely, psychologically unqualified for the position. 90% of life is showing up. I know that's a cliche, but there's truth to that. 
90% of life is showing up. We couldn't even get Donald Trump to show up at the most basic functions of the job, to sit there and act like a goddamn adult. He didn't have to do a thing. Just sit there and allow Joe Biden to become the next president of the United States while he was in attendance. And let's be clear, that would have had significance, not just in the symbolism of the transfer of power, but also with regard to his most ardent political base. I love the poorly educated. Because there's a percentage, and I don't know what it is. This is a smaller percentage than the basic Colt 45 Trump political base. But there is a certain percentage that aren't going to buy Joe Biden as president, period, end of sentence. And what they're going to hold on to is, well, Donald Trump, yeah, he kind of conceded, not really. There was probably some codes, code words in there that indicated he wasn't really conceding, but he didn't even attend the inauguration. Therefore, if it's not legitimate for Donald Trump, it's not legitimate for us. Correct. And I think it's more than a very, very small fringe. I don't know what the number is. It could be in the 10%, 15% category. And that's a large number of people. And so Donald Trump would rather have that percentage of Americans view Joe Biden as illegitimate than be willing to act like a man and simply do what was expected of him when he took the job as president. And this irritates me on numerous levels, one of which, as I've already alluded to, is it goes to why the Trump gambit was always a massive mistake. Forget about the politics. From a human standpoint, he was not built for this because to be president of the United States, the number one thing is to put the country above yourself and everything else that comes along, but certainly yourself. And Donald Trump was never and was never going to be able to put himself ahead of the country or to put the country ahead of himself. That was always going to be where he was going to go with this. He puts nothing ahead of himself. It's always about his own self-interest. We saw that in the absurd pardons that he's been giving out, just as predicted yesterday and over the last several weeks since his, his election loss. So to me, that, that to me is Donald Trump's legacy. The, the first guy to put himself ahead of the country to the extent that he wasn't even willing or able to show up for the inauguration of the next president of the United States. Correct. I mean, Barack Obama's ego was legendary. Legendary. It was absurd. He was treated like a god, thought of himself as a god. I actually think Trump's was worse, but at least Barack Obama, first of all, even though he didn't lose to Trump, he was there. He was there for Trump's inauguration. He did everything he could to help the transition. He met with Donald Trump immediately after an election that was closer than 2020 was. So, and I believe that Barack Obama 
in almost every case that mattered, put the country first. I disagree with him strongly on a lot of what he did, but I believe he viewed his role as what did he think was best for the country. Donald Trump never looked at it that way. Donald Trump looked at it as this is what's best for me. Screw the country. I don't honestly, and that's, of course, the great irony of his great make America great again and America first. He doesn't give a shit about the country. And it was amazing to me that those who were within his cult could never understand that. I love the poorly educated. That was the fundamental con. The fundamental con, you know, the fundamental projection that always showed, you know, that was that was whenever you knew Donald Trump was lying was he was projecting. He's projecting about something that he knows himself not to be true. He knows that he's not all about the country. So he makes his campaign and his presidency all about the country. Make America great again. America first. Therefore, no one can criticize me for not being pro-American. When in reality, he doesn't care about the country. Except as it relates to himself. And that fundamentally, more than everything else, more, more than his pathological lying, more than his incompetence, more than, in my view, his very liberal policies on a lot of things, uh, that to me was the major reason why he was never qualified to be president and why this was always a very, very bad idea and why, if we ever got into a crisis, a Trump presidency was going to be a catastrophe and why which I predicted time and time again, why this was always going to create a backlash of progressivism and socialism. And I never anticipated fascism that we've seen in the COVID era as a backlash to him, the likes of which we'd never seen before. And that's what's already happened. And that's what's going to happen now that Joe Biden is president with a Democratic House and effectively a Democratic Senate. But despite all that, Despite Donald Trump not even showing up, despite the COVID pandemic reducing the inauguration to basically a, a picnic, uh, you know, America got through it. On the bright side, America got through it. Mike Pence was there. He was basically ignored. If it was a family picnic, Mike Pence is the guy who, you know, just divorced uh, everyone's favorite girl. And he's still for some reason at the family picnic. Uh, but at least he was there. At least he was there for some semblance of symbolism, of continuity, and the transfer of power from one administration to the next. As for the way Trump did handle this, he didn't show up at the inauguration, uh, but he did have a very, very muted event this morning where he said goodbye in front of a small crowd. And uh, I'm just going to play for you the very, very end of the speech mostly because I, I think muted is really the best word to describe this. Uh, he, uh, maybe even castrated. Uh, this, this is not the normal Donald Trump. He was, you know, the rambling part was normal. But the part about, you know, whether or not, uh, you know, w- w- he, there was no strength in his words. It was weak. Uh, you know, it, it didn't really seem to have much of a theme. And then it got, to me, rather strange where at the end, Uh, He ends up thanking Mike Pence, a guy who, let's be clear, a large part of what happened on the assault on the Capitol was because of him lying about Mike Pence 
having the ability to overthrow or overturn the election on his behalf. Correct. And urging him to do so and urging his mob, his cult, to make sure that Mike Pence did the right thing. My gosh, there were people chanting, hang Mike Pence. There were gallows, at least a fake gallow, apparently, uh, within that crowd. People looking for Mike Pence. This, I mean, they, 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 my, Donald Trump could not have hung Mike Pence more out to dry if he had tried. And, uh, and so here's the, the final moments, the final words of Donald Trump uh, speaking publicly as president and then the bizarre choice of music that followed. The things that we've done have been just incredible, and I couldn't have done, them, done it without you. So just a goodbye. We love you. We will be back in some form. And again, uh, I want to just in leaving, I want to thank our vice president, Mike Pence and Karen. I want to thank Congress because we really worked well with Congress, uh, at least certain elements of Congress. But we really did. We've gotten so much done that nobody thought would be possible. But I do want to thank Congress. And I want to thank all of the great people of Washington, D.C., all of the people that we worked with to put this miracle together. So have a good life. We will see you soon. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Now, in case you didn't recognize it, that music is from YMCA, the village people. So so Trump says, have a good life. Thank you, Mike Pence. Thank you, Congress. By the way, the only thing Donald Trump ever got through Congress was the tax cut and some Supreme Court nominations through the Senate. Uh, you know, other than that, there really wasn't a whole lot of, uh, uh, of cooperation with Congress. But uh, and then to end with YMCA, I, I would love to. We're never going to know how the hell that happened. But how does and that that was the music playing as he got on the airplane to leave YMCA? It's just so strange, the whole thing. But in general, I would say that from an image standpoint, Donald Trump came in to this presidency like a lion and he left like a lamb. Correct. I mean, that was uh, not the Donald Trump that we saw any through most of the, the five years of this ordeal, including the 2016 election. I believe that he's scared. I truly do believe that he is scared. And the, and the proof that he is scared is that he did not do a farewell interview. Imagine that. That's, that, that's almost as glaring an omission as him not showing up for the inauguration. Because remember, Donald Trump is all about attention, media attention, ratings, and let's be exceedingly uh, honest about this. Regardless of your political persuasion, had he done an even semi-legitimate interview, probably wouldn't have worked if he did it with Newsmax or something like that. But if he had done a Fox News interview or, my gosh, if he had done a 60 Minutes interview you know, with a legitimate interviewer, that would have been big box office. 
That would have been huge, huge. And especially given the fact that, you know, he just lost, he's leaving, the assault on the Capitol, he just got impeached. I mean, this is this was a great opportunity for Trump to be Trump. And he was afraid to do it. He was afraid to give even a softball or get a softball interview. There would have been plenty of opportunities from people uh, in the quote-unquote conservative media who would have been thrilled to throw lob some softballs in Donald Trump's direction. And he was afraid to even do that. Why? Well, I think he's afraid about what's going to happen in the impeachment trial. He may be afraid about issues related to criminal culpability in other areas. Uh, he's clearly gotten advice from lawyers or somebody uh, that he trusts or believes in that he should not be talking extemporaneously about any of this. Uh, he did a little bit today uh, without there being an interview in that in that speech that we just played a clip from. But this is there's something not right. Well, we always know there's something not right with Donald Trump, but there's something not normal, even for the always not right Donald Trump. Something has changed. And how much of it is fear? I don't know. But it is certainly more than worthy of mention that there was no exit interview and he doesn't even have the guts, the balls, the dignity to show up for Joe Biden's inauguration. Now, he did have time for another set of pardons. Now, this is not unusual. The last day of a presidency is always pardon day. And I, I, I despise this. And, it, and this is just my recollection of having followed politics for basically 40 years. I don't remember this idea because I remember what happened with Bill Clinton. Bill Clinton got a lot of flack for the, the Mark Rich pardon on his last day in office, even though there was an the inauguration of a brand new president from a different party, there was still a lot of attention on that. There was so little attention so far, uh, especially even during the inauguration coverage that I saw, and I didn't see all of it, but I saw almost no focus at all on these last minute pardons for Donald Trump. And it feels like, and this is this is such a good example of the damage that Donald Trump has done, where he takes a, somebody else's precedent. Because let's be clear, there were other presidents who abused the pardon power. So he takes that 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 precedent and then he, he, he goes even further with it to the point now where it's ingrained, even in the media's consciousness, that this is perfectly OK. It's just accepted. You can pardon whoever you want on your last day in office, and we're not even going to make a big deal about it. And there were like 140 pardons and commutations. Some of them were strange, like black entertainers that got pardoned, fine, whatever. But uh, the, the, the ones that stood out to me were Steve Bannon. Steve Bannon got a pardon. Now, if you're a Trump supporter, I realize Trump supporters don't tend to look at the world logically, but if you're a Trump supporter, the Steve Bannon pardon ought to infuriate you. Correct. Because what was Steve Bannon charged with? He was effectively charged with frauding Trump supporters out of their money to support a bogus 
cause of building the wall. You know, the great, big, beautiful wall on the southern border that Trump promised a thousand times never produced. Remember that one? I love the poorly educated. Of course, they'll tell you that there actually is a wall. All I know is what's on the Internet. Uh, no, there, there is, there's 400 miles of wall that got basically refurbished. There's no great, new, giant, wonderful wall that's going to dramatically impact illegal immigration in the future. And whatever plans there, there were for further building of the wall are going to be immediately stopped by Joe Biden, I can assure you that. But but Steve Bannon, his former political advisor, played a huge role in winning the 2016 election. A guy I've dealt with uh, indirectly on a, on a few occasions because he used to run Breitbart, a guy I have no respect for. Uh, and I think he's a, a smart political advisor. He deserves some credit for, for Trump winning the 2016 election, but I don't think he's a good guy, and he proved it by by using his name to effectively steal and defraud money from Trump supporters, using this lie that the money was going to go help build the wall. And Trump, who at times hated Steve Bannon, was in a huge war with Steve Bannon, decided to pardon him, apparently after a huge debate. There was huge debate within the administration. People very much in favor, people very much against Steve Bannon getting a pardon. But what a absolute fart in the face and, and so telling of who Donald Trump really is and how he really views his political supporters that he's willing to pardon someone who stole money from his strongest supporters. It's unbelievable. You cannot be serious. And yet, to my knowledge, his base will not criticize him for this. They will probably somehow uh, praise him for this because, you know, oh, I guess Steve Bannon's back in the fold. Not to mention the idea that it's now okay to just pardon your former advisors and friends, regardless of what they did. There, there used to be a line there that, okay, that would be too unseemly to, to have a direct personal connection, especially when the crimes for which people were convicted or are alleged against them directly have to do with you. To my knowledge, that's never been done before, but Trump has done it on numerous occasions. He did it with, with Michael Flynn, Roger Stone, George Papadopoulos. You could kind of argue Paul Manafort, although that wasn't directly involved with Donald Trump. The, the personal connections continued with the pardoning of, of Jared Kushner's dad. Uh, uh, um, Elliot Brody is another uh, pardon that I found to be absolutely hilarious. Elliot Brody is a name that might ring a bell to some people. I'm very familiar with it because one of the very few stories I ever got, uh, I guess for lack of a better term, duped on or, or I got wrong, and I fully admitted it and wrote a column about how and why I got it wrong, was early on in the Trump administration, there was a theory that this GOP fundraiser by the name of Elliot Brody was actually creating a cover story for uh, to, uh, for Donald Trump having gotten an abortion with a former Playboy model. That's a complicated story. It's a fascinating story. The coincidences involved were unbelievable, which is why I bought into it after uh, a couple other people had come up with a theory. Uh, although, to my 
defense, I was one of the first people to, to reverse myself and say, wait a minute, this this isn't real. This is just an amazing set of circumstances. But one of the more amazing set of circumstances and coincidences here was that the person who set up the deal between Brody and the Playboy model was, wait for it, Michael Cohen, who had almost no other clients at the time. And the, and the template that Cohen used for the agreement between the Playboy model and Brody was exactly the same template that was used between Trump and Stormy Daniels. And so it wasn't illogical to think, wait a minute, hold on. How does this make any damn sense? And what really sold it for me at the beginning was look at Elliot Brody. <laughs> Elliot Brody is an ugly, ugly, fat dude. And it made no sense to me whatsoever that he was having sex with and impregnating this Playboy model who, who was extremely attractive. Uh, he's, he wasn't famous. He was rich, uh, which which will sometimes get it done. But uh, it's it certainly seemed far more in Trump's category uh, of, of the way things would go down than someone like Brody's. Well, apparently that was not the case. But Brody, simultaneous to this alleged theoretical scandal that apparently was not true, was caught in, a, in another situation that may have also dealt with Donald Trump when it came to influence peddling, and Trump pardoned him late last night. Now, it's, it's strange, one, that you're pardoning someone who has a direct connection to you, that raised money for you, but the really bizarre part is there's nobody that Donald Trump hates more, or hardly anybody, than Michael Cohen, his former personal lawyer. And so Cohen was Brody's lawyer, and Trump's pardoning him. So Trump's pardoning Steve Bannon, with whom he's had a massive public falling out and tried to destroy at one point, and did the same for Elliot Brody, whose former lawyer is Michael Cohen. Also on the list, this was a, wasn't a pardon, apparently it was a commutation, is Paul Erickson. Paul Erickson is a former friend of mine. Paul Erickson, if you really pay attention to the news, was the former boyfriend of the Russian spy. Remember her? Who, the, and this is, of, of all the, the stories related to Russia that we never nailed down, I would love to know how Paulina Putina, the Russian spy, ended up being the first person to ask Donald Trump, then candidate Donald Trump, about the issue of sanctions against Russia and whether or not they would be lifted in a Trump administration. That video, which you can find online, is fascinating to me. I am the most ardent anti-conspiracy person on the planet, but it is amazing that uh, she asked the question and Trump responded the way that she did. Well, Erickson, who <laughs> I used to really like, uh, got involved in, in this whole situation with her as a spy because, well, frankly, because he was fucking her, apparently, or wanted to try to fuck her, which I can believe from Paul's perspective, knowing him a little bit and having uh, caroused with him a little bit at uh, CPAC, the, the conservative political action committee events that I used to go to on a yearly basis with uh, Andrew Breitbart as my wingman or maybe vice versa. Uh, but uh, Paul now got a commutation from Donald Trump, probably because in Trump's mind, anything at all that deals with Russia needs to be expunged from the record. 
if it, whether it had anything directly to do with him or not. But I have to say, part of me wonders, wait a minute, isn't it possible that there's something larger going on here still? I mean, my God. And it's, it's remarkable that there'll be so little attention paid to this. But Trump has pardoned everybody related to the Russian investigation. Uh, I'm not going to get into that. Uh, Manafort, Flynn, Stone, Papadopoulos, Paul Erickson. I, really? This isn't going to make anybody suspicious at all that there's something larger going on here, that there's still something that Trump is protecting? I don't know. I honestly don't. But it, it bothers me that so little attention is going to be focused on this. Now, that, you know, that could change. I do think there's a possibility that these pardons are not going to help Donald Trump in his upcoming impeachment trial in the Senate. We still don't know when that's going to happen. By the way, that's going to impact when and how we we uh, finish this podcast. My my original plan before the, the shit show of, of January turned out to be even worse than I predicted was that we would end this podcast next week. I don't know if we're still going to do that because it doesn't appear as if the impeachment trial will have even started by then. So that's still up in the air. Uh, you know, there was talk that the impeachment trial would start immediately, but now apparently they're going to try to get a few things done in the Senate first uh, and then head into the impeachment trial. And I, I've written about the uh, the bizarre incentive structure with regard to the impeachment of Donald Trump, the impeachment trial. And I, I urge you to check it out. You can find it at our Twitter page, which is at individual, the number one pod. That's at individual, the number one pod. No one else is talking about this because I'm probably the only person in a position to do so. But the incentive structure is incredibly perverse and it's upside down. It's totally upside down. Nothing is as it appears, even by the standards of, of modern-day America. Because Republicans, and, th- and this is partially why those pardons might matter, Republicans in the Senate, they are going to have to publicly pretend to be defending Donald Trump, at least the ones that are up for re-election in two years, and those that have long-term presidential aspirations, which is a lot of them, because if you still, if you go against Trump to this degree— his cult is going to turn on you hard, and then you're in big trouble. But if you ask them behind the scenes, all of them want, or almost all of them, would love to see Donald Trump convicted because then the next vote would be, will he be banned from ever holding office again? And if he's banned from ever holding office again, that totally changes the Republican Party going forward. It's night and day. If Donald Trump comes out of this, still being able to run in the future, and if he gets his Twitter feedback, which I think might happen, I think Twitter is going gonna, is gonna to cave and, uh, and going to give Donald Trump his Twitter feedback. If he has his Twitter feed and the ability to run for office, he still owns, all, for all intents and purposes, the Republican Party, and he will be able to dramatically impact how the Republican nomination in 2024 goes down, even if he decides not to run. That's an absolute fact. If he doesn't have his Twitter feed and he can't run for office, the entire dynamic changes. And so Republicans have this weird incentive to actually see him convicted. Conversely, Democrats who publicly have to say we're 100 percent in favor of his conviction, at least some of them have to be going, whoa, 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 what are we doing here? 
Why are we going to hand Republicans this incredible gift of ridding them of their cancer? Because they know they're not complete idiots. They know that if Trump is still eligible to run, they, they, they first of all know if he's convicted, then they're going to have to vote to ban him from ever running again because that's just a 51 vote majority vote. You got to get 67 votes for conviction. So if you get 67 for conviction, you're clearly going to get 51 to ban him for uh, being able to hold future office. Well, Democrats don't really want that. Democrats want Donald Trump to be the face of the Republican Party and to be able to at least to dictate events going forward, whether it comes when it comes to the presidential nomination in 2024 or Senate and and House primaries where he could have a huge influence if he wanted to. That's, again, assuming he's still viable. And to be seen as viable, he needs two things, the ability to run for president and he needs his Twitter account. If he has one of those two things, then, you know, reality is somewhere in the middle. If he doesn't have his Twitter account and he can't run for president, I'm actually somewhat optimistic that he can, can, underline can, be eradicated or will can be forced to fade away in a fairly short period of time. That's not a definite, but it's at least in the more than in the realm of possibility. Now, one of the key people in all this, as we've always said, is Mitch McConnell. He's the Republican leader in the Senate. Mitch McConnell is a guy who uh, I do not like personally, having dealt with him a lot when in my days in Louisville, Kentucky. Uh, but I, I do respect him as a strategist. I respect him as a chess player. I think he at least has somewhat of a soul. Democrats don't believe he has a soul. I think he actually cares about the country. Uh, and, and we've always said on this podcast that he was going to be more than willing to stab Donald Trump in the back under the right circumstances at the right time. It's taken a lot longer than I had hoped for and maybe even anticipated, but over the last week or so, Mitch McConnell has made it very clear that he uh, is not against impeachment, and it seems as if he's in favor of conviction. How much influence he'll have over other people in the Senate on the Republican side is yet to be seen, but he made a fairly dramatic statement on the floor of the Senate yesterday where he made it very clear that it was the president of the United States who enabled and facilitated the assault on the Capitol. And here's what that sounded like. The mob was fed lies. They were provoked by the president and other powerful people. And they tried to use fear and violence to stop a specific proceeding of the first branch of the federal government which they did not like. But we pressed on. We stood together and said an angry mob would not get veto power over the rule of law in our nation. Now, what McConnell said there is exactly my view of this. And to those who claim this was not that significant, it was not in the realm of an insurrection, uh, you know, it was only a few people. Uh, yes, unfortunately, it looks like five people died either directly or indirectly because of what happened. But for those who try to diminish it, I think McConnell makes the right argument because it's not just that it was the Capitol, which is different. See, I, I don't agree with there are some similarities, but I do not agree in totality that there's an analogy to be made between what happened at the Capitol and what we saw with the Black Lives Matter protests and riots over the summer. There's some similarities. Like, I happen to believe 
you know, McConnell just said that the, the, the mob was provoked by a lie. Well, I think there's an argument to be made there with Black Lives Matter. And it's pretty hysterical and hypocritical for the news media to be you know, using this theme against Trump when it was their lies and their distortions and their, heck, I don't know how many years, 50, 40 years, 30 years at least of propaganda on racial issues that, that has fundamentally and dramatically impacted black people's view of whether or not this is a racist country or not. And that that essentially was the same thing as, as lighting the fire that, that Trump did for his mob. I mean, there's some similarities in that regard. It's not a perfect analogy, but it's it's a, it's it's at least somewhat legitimate. But here's where things change. One, this is the capital of the United States. That's big. And even bigger was the timing and the intent. The timing was the vote for the Electoral College for president, which was stopped. And that was part of the intent of the mob attack, was to stop the final, usually ceremonial vote for who the next president of the United States would be. That's huge. And that puts it into a completely different realm. And that's why uh, this is a big deal. That's why it's impeachable. And that's why you can make a strong argument that Trump should be convicted. Now, I am open to this argument that Technically, this is not a legal process because Trump is no longer president. And I do think politically that's going to have some power. There are some people who I believe are on the fence about whether or not Trump should be convicted for whom that just doesn't feel right. It just doesn't feel right. That Wait a minute. Hold on. Why are we doing an impeachment trial for a guy who's no longer in office? What's the point? This seems superfluous. This seems vindictive. And I think that could end up that could end up ruling the day. I think that could end up being the decisive factor in why Trump escapes conviction a second time. But McConnell's not alone in this view. Bizarrely, and this didn't get nearly as much of attention as I thought it would when I saw it, because I was like, wow, I cannot believe uh, what I'm seeing and hearing. But Donald Trump's own attorney general, Bill Barr, the guy who purposely and disgracefully sabotaged the Mueller report, lying about it. I was the first one to tell you that that's what was happening. I did not trust Bill Barr. A lot of the people, even who were anti-Trump people, trusted Bill Barr. I said, wait a minute, this doesn't make any sense. This doesn't smell right. His supposed summary of the Mueller report. Well, I was right. It turned out to be a lie and a sabotage of his former friend, Robert Mueller. Uh, I'm not going to get into that. And here's a guy who was a sycophant for Trump, a guy who destroyed his reputation for Trump. And Bill Barr gave an interview where he echoed essentially the same view of the assault on the Capitol as Mitch McConnell. And here's what that sounded like. I think that that was the thing that uh, precipitated the, the, the uh, riots on the Hill. Now, I think it's always important um, to remember that most people uh, are exercising their First Amendment rights. Uh, but there was a substantial group, obviously, that went far beyond that and broke into the Capitol and tried to interfere with uh, the proceedings. And that's unacceptable. I'm, I'm sad to see, uh, but not surprised in a way, to see uh, the kind of violence we, we saw on Capitol Hill. I consider it despicable. And I was not Attorney General. I had already left office when that occurred. Uh, but I felt that 
they should move very quickly to disperse that crowd, regardless of which side of the political spectrum is involved. We just cannot tolerate violence interfering with the processes of government. That's the right answer. And that, you know, and when he references I was not attorney general at that time, my interpretation is that, uh, and I'm, this is simply just my interpretation, but I felt like he was essentially saying that he would have acted in a more forceful manner uh, and maybe even against public officials had he still been in office. Now, it's a lot easier to say that once you're out of office, especially when you're dealing with Donald Trump. But that's it's amazing to me, uh, the the transformation that occurs once you're no longer under Trump's spell, because that's a rational guy. That's the guy who we were told Bill Barr was going to be when he took the job. Let's be, remember how he took the job. He took the job because Jeff Sessions got fired the day after the 2018 midterm election when no one was paying attention. And I was screaming bloody murder going, wait a minute. The Russian investigation just got destroyed, having no idea that Bill Barr was obviously going to be chosen to do exactly that. Uh, I'm not going to get into that. Uh, But something happens. You know, you know, your desire for power. Bill Barr, as I've said many times, was on the couch watching television and then all of a sudden got picked out of obscurity and got put back in the game. He had been in the game decades before, and then he got put back in by Trump, and he he did exactly what his master wanted. Well, now he's no longer under the master, and he's willing to tell the truth. And so there, there's no question that in a rational world, there's a strong argument to be made that what Donald Trump did was an impeachable offense, and he should be convicted. Whether he's going to be convicted or not, I have my doubts. In, the, in a column that I wrote about this, uh, which I've already alluded to, which you can find it in, at Individual One Pod, uh, I not only talk about the perverse incentives, but I talk about how there just aren't enough Republicans in a strong position to be willing and able to do this. Liz Cheney, who voted for impeachment in the House, has already been censured by uh, censured by the Wyoming Republican Party in a unanimous vote. And she was one of 10 to vote in favor of impeachment, not even conviction. That was just impeachment. So how are you going to find 17 Republican senators, regardless of what Mitch McConnell wants to do, to vote in favor of conviction? There are 17 who are running for re-election in 2022 right now. They're off the table immediately. Right. You've got 50 in the Senate. There's 17 that are running for reelection in 2020. None of them are named Mitt Romney, who's the only guy who might be you know, audacious enough to say, screw it. I'm going to give up my career to do the right thing. So those 17 are gone. All right. Right off the bat, they're gone. That leaves you with 33. That means you got to get at just over half of those 33 to vote for conviction. Now, McConnell If he were to vote for conviction, it certainly sounds like he's willing and able to do that. That would be impactful. That would be significant. But it wouldn't necessarily automatically drag a whole bunch of people with him. All that would do is provide cover. I talk a lot about cover. I talked about cover in the first impeachment trial and why I knew Trump was going to be acquitted because there was not enough cover. You need at least three people to provide cover. There was only Mitt Romney. Mitt Romney was not, even though he was the 2016, the 2012, boy, time flies, 2012 Republican presidential nominee, 
He should have been the 2016 presidential nominee. We, we wouldn't be in this situation. But, uh, you know, he, he was not enough, unfortunately, to provide political cover for any other Republican to do the right thing in the first impeachment trial. Mitch McConnell, along with Mitt Romney and maybe one other large name, could be. One of those large names is not going to be Lindsey Graham, who's a complete fucking fraud, who on the floor of the Senate after the assault on the Capitol said, I'm done, I'm out, I'm not defending him anymore, and now is publicly, as he did on Fox News Channel last night, trying to lobby Mitch McConnell against being in favor of conviction. It's just unbelievable what happened to Lindsey Graham, the guy who correctly predicted if we, if we go with Donald Trump as our nominee, we're going to get crushed and we deserve it. It just took a lot longer to happen than Lindsey Graham predicted. So he's still, even though he said he was out, he's still doing Donald Trump's bidding. He's claiming it's for the unity of the country. He's been calling on Joe Biden, his former friend, uh, to, to try to p- call off the dogs. By the way, it's a scenario I can kind of see happening because, it's, as I've said, it's in the Democrats' interest for this not to go all the way. So maybe they could get cover by Biden saying it would be in the best interest of the nation. To, to not convict Donald Trump, kind of like Gerald Ford did with Richard Nixon. I can see that as a possible scenario. But I don't currently see a way for Republicans to get to 17 votes for conviction. I've looked at all the names. I see closer to seven than 17 that are in a situation where they personally are somewhat protected and have the ability to vote for conviction if they are so inclined to do so. And that presumes that Mitch McConnell is one of them. If Mitch McConnell isn't officially one of them, then forget it. There's no shot. But if you got McConnell, I think you probably get seven, eight, maybe nine. But getting to 17 is going to be exceedingly difficult. Now, something happened last night that could change that equation. It's not just the pardons that are that were absurd and, and, and infuriating, but there was a story that broke. Now, this this was in the Wall Street Journal. It seemed to be credibly sourced that Donald Trump is considering starting his own political party. He's going to call it the Patriot Party. How classic of Trump, right? He's going to call it the Patriot Party. Now, if he does that, the conventional wisdom, of course, is the Republican Party is toast. It's over. It's done because uh, you cannot compete, especially in a national election, if a third party led by Donald Trump, is siphoning off votes from the Republican candidate. I would agree with that. I mean, if Donald Trump ran in 2024 on a third-party platform, it would 100% ensure that Kamala Harris, in all likelihood, would be the next president of the United States, because I don't see Joe Biden running for a second term at his age and and with his health. Could happen, but I I doubt it. It's most likely going to be Kamala Harris. So I agree with that. But here's the strangeness of the, this announcement and, and what a bad chess player Donald Trump often is. Because this doesn't come out without Trump at least knowing about it or signing off on this, this story being put out there that he's going to start the Patriot Party. What kind of a moron, what kind of a moron decides that they're going to let it be known that you might start another political party? just before Republicans in the Senate are going to have the ability, should they choose to use it, to ban you from ever running for office in the future. You cannot be serious. I mean, that is some real bad strategery right there. Why not wait 
until the impeachment trial is over. You have just handed a lot of Republicans a huge incentive to convict you and make sure you can never run again for office. Because if he can never run again for office, and again, I've said this before, but it's worth repeating, if he can't run for office and he doesn't have his Twitter account, both of which are still very open questions in my view, but if that's the scenario, I don't think the Patriot Party works. It can't work on the national level because you can't duplicate Donald Trump. There's only one Donald Trump, for better or for worse, usually for better. So you, there's not a, there's not a hundred Donald Trumps out there that you can run for House and Senate. There's only one, and if you don't have him at the head of the ticket, the rest of this thing falls apart, especially without the Twitter feed. And he doesn't have that much money, and his his businesses are going in the crapper already anyway, especially as toxic as he is after the assault on the Capitol. So I don't see how that's going to get it launched off the ground if Trump can't run. So now that may have changed. That's the only scenario currently I can see that may have changed the equation in the Senate impeachment trial where Republicans now have a real strong incentive to convict and ban him from future office because if they don't, then they're going to see their own peril. Their own party is going to get destroyed because that is not something, especially under the current circumstances, that Republicans could ever survive, a a viable, real third-party run by Donald Trump. So right now, my tentative prediction is that Trump will not be convicted, but that could change. We are in the realm of where it could happen, partially because of these perverse, strange political incentives that I wrote about for Mediate, and I urge you to check out at Individual One Pod, our Twitter handle. I also wrote, when you can find at our Twitter handle, uh, another column giving a report card on how every major element of our governing bodies in this country, including the media, the left-wing media, the conservative media, uh, the Republicans, Democrats, voters, Trump himself, the cabinet, the judiciary, I gave a report card on how they handled the challenge of the last five years. Spoiler alert, almost everybody failed. Correct. But I urge you to check that out. When you do check out that column, Make sure that there's nothing flammable near you because uh, that column is on fire uh, because I am just infuriated at how this country has handled the Donald Trump challenge. Uh, As far as um, this podcast, a couple weeks ago before the craziness ignited far more than I even predicted, we started a final edition of Ask John Anything. I have not forgotten about that. I still have Lots of questions to get to in response to your inquiries for Ask John Anything. Uh, I plan on doing that in next week's episode. You still have time, if you so choose, to uh, ask me a question for Ask John Anything. You can do that. My email address is probably the easiest way to do it, which is uh, talk to Zig, T-A-L-K-T-O-Z-I-G, talk to Zig at AOL.com. I will do that next week. What I don't know is whether or not next week will be the final episode of the podcast. We're still trying to figure that out. I would like to continue it for at least the next couple of weeks so that we get through the impeachment trial. And it does not appear that that will happen even by a couple of weeks from now. So stay tuned. We will absolutely for sure do at least one more episode, probably a couple more after that, depending on circumstances. Obviously, everything could change on a dime in this very strange world. Uh, but I promise you, we will finish Ask John Anything, and we will do at least uh, one major segment wrapping up uh, this incredible, bizarre, 
uh, journey that we've all been on and through, which took a major turn today with Donald Trump's presidency finally, mercifully, coming to an end and the start of the Joe Biden administration. So with that being said, uh, we will be back next week. Please remember to subscribe, rate, and review, and share this podcast via social media. Follow us on Twitter at Individual1Pod. That's at Individual, the number one pod. Until next week, thanks for listening. My name is John Ziegler. This is the Global Story Network. Global Story Network.